Al Jazeera podcast. I'm Darin Abugeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. For a second consecutive day, Israeli forces have targeted Jabalia, the largest refugee camp in Gaza. More than 100 people have been killed in two days of attacks. The total number of Palestinians killed in Gaza since October the 7th is now nearing 8,800. Israel has even targeted hospitals and mosques. So what will it take to launch a war crimes investigation against Israel? We can now bring in our guests. Joining us from the Canadian city of London on, in Ontario is Michael Link. He's a former special rapporteur for the human rights situation in the Palestinian territories occupied since 1967. In Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank, we have Noura Odeh, a former spokeswoman for the Palestinian Task Force on Public Diplomacy. And in London, in the United Kingdom, Donatella Rivera, who's a senior crisis response advisor with Amnesty International. Thanks for your time with us on Inside Story on Al Jazeera. Michael Link, um, we saw the images, the refugee camp being targeted for a second time by the Israelis, killing hundreds, being described as a massacre by some people. Now, the fundamental rule of international humanitarian law and conflict is that all parties must distinguish at all times between combatants and civilians. Is that what we're seeing here? Probably, most likely not. Um, it's hard to uh, understand how we are now at a death toll of around 8,800 Palestinians in uh, in Gaza, the vast majority of them <clears throat> being um, civilians, uh, and not see this as potential war crimes. Amnesty has, uh, has called for war crimes investigations. Human Rights Watch has called for war crimes investigations. Keep in mind that uh, it, it may or may not be deliberate targeting of civilians, but uh, even if it's reckless or indiscriminate, that, that amounts to a war crime. Um, and uh, international law puts very strict um, restrictions on, on what uh, militaries can do with respect to this. Um, even if people haven't left North Gaza, uh, as many hundreds of thousands have not done, um, Israel must, uh, after the warning that uh, Israel has given, um, uh, Israel must continue to distinguish at all times between combatants and civilians. And if a airstrike or a tank strike is going to cause disproportionate uh, ca uh, civilian casualties, then it cannot do that. And there seems to be no um, no evidence that Israel has taken that kind of distinction and that kind of legal thinking into account. Okay, let's bring in uh, Donatella from Amnesty. Uh, so do you think that this is... Uh, Amnesty has been calling for war crimes investigation. Um, tell, us, tell us why and what, what Amnesty has seen. And do you think that this strike, uh, the two strikes, in fact, on Jabalia refugee camp, are going to lead to a war crimes investigation? Well, I don't know what they will lead to because, obviously, as an investigator, I investigate what has happened, and I'm not uh, I'm not able to predict what's going to happen in the future. But this is yet another strike, and there have been many uh, since the 7th of October, as indeed there have been many in the previous years. But since this new escalation, there have been many strikes that should be investigated as war crimes. This is these are the latest. Um, clearly, a situation where so many civilians are, including thousands of children, uh, have killed and many more have been have been killed and many more have been injured, 
in strikes that are being carried out in very densely populated areas where the Israeli authorities and the Israeli army know full well that there are many, many civilians, regardless of the leaflets that they've dropped on entire area, which is also not something that can be considered an effective uh, warning, because warnings must be specific and precise in both geographically and in terms of time, and this is not the case. But the authorities and the army uh, of Israel knew that there were many civilians, um, thousands and thousands of civilians in, in Jabalia refugee camp, as there are indeed in Gaza City and elsewhere. Um, and, and to have carried out a strike which is that enormous, um, using uh, weapons with a wide impact area. It is known in advance, there could be no doubt in the minds of those who carried out the attacks and of those who ordered the attack, that there was an extremely high likelihood, a virtual certainty, that large numbers of civilians would be killed and injured. Therefore, the requirement of proportionality and of distinction uh, do not appear to have been met um, in this case, as in many other cases. And, and the civilians are you know, clearly continuing to, to pay the price. Okay, Anur Ode, I see you nodding along with what Donatella had to say. What are your uh, thoughts on the Jabalia refugee camp strike, and particularly this issue of proportionality, which we've heard uh, being brought up. I mean, how 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 do you see uh, the proportionality playing out in the context of what's happening in Gaza after the October 7th attacks? Well, yeah, thank you for having me, Darin. I, I would uh, remind the viewers of statements made by senior Israeli officials, uh, political and military, uh, at the beginning of this uh, assault, which is that uh, they, you know, several of them said, we are more interested in destruction than accuracy. We will turn Gaza into a city of tents. We will eliminate everything in Gaza. These are statements made by high officials in the Israeli government and military. And I think what we're seeing right now in Jabalia, in Nusayrat, and all across the Gaza Strip is a very accurate translation of, that, of those declarations of intent. And I would also add, that uh, the Gaza Strip is very heavily monitored and surveilled by Israel. Israel knows it literally has the phone number of every person in Gaza. And a recent example of that was your own reporter, uh, Yumna Sayyid. Uh, when the Israeli army uh, uh, started increasing the bombardment in her neighborhood in Gaza City, they called up her husband, um, spelled out his entire name, uh, first and last name, and they knew exactly which apartment he lived in, and they asked him to leave, even though, of course, the whole neighborhood was under bombardment and it was um, there was no safe route to take. But what I'm trying to say is that, uh, that there, there are no mistakes here, as far as I'm concerned. Israel knows who lives uh, in, in these neighborhoods. It knows how many children and women uh, will be uh, 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 victimized by these massive, massive attacks on very densely populated, uh, poor areas, especially when we're talking about a refugee camp like uh, Jabalia, um, and it does not care. And the reason why it doesn't care is because it has enjoyed uh, the political uh, protection 
of countries like the United States and others, including members of the ICC, like the UK and Germany and others, it there's an entrenched culture of impunity. They know they can get away with it because they've gotten away with it in the past. This is not the first time Israel has been accused of war crimes. Of course, th these are proportions we haven't seen in decades. But really, what we're seeing is Israel taking full advantage of the fact that it feels that it is above the law, above accountability, above even reproach, and that Palestinian lives have been deemed expendable. Right. by major international powers, regardless of what they say about humanitarian assistance, which really rings hollow at this point. Michael Link, the director of the New York office of the High Commission for Human Rights, has resigned, I'm sure you're aware, and he said that the world is bearing witness to a textbook case of genocide. From your experience as a former UN special rapporteur, is this a case of genocide building? This has the, the, the possible makings of, uh, of, uh, of a genocide. Genocide, of course, is a very high standard uh, to, uh, to meet in international law, which includes intent to try to eliminate in whole or in part uh, a, a people. Um, and in, we, we know um, genocide has been pointed to with respect to uh, Rwanda, with respect to um, uh, Myanmar and the Rohingya. Um, these are not easy uh, stances to be able to make, but increasingly uh, we're hearing very respected voices in international diplomacy and international law saying that uh, we have the makings of a case on genocide here. Indeed, I just listened to an interview earlier on today by Luis Ocampa, who was the first prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, where he said, used the word genocide as, um, as a uh, a possibility and uh, with respect to the facts on the ground. And what you need is not only evidence of uh, the factual evidence of, of, uh, of people being eliminated in large numbers, um, and we already are at 8,800 uh, deaths, um, but, the, uh, but the intent by the, uh, by the rulers of, of those who are generating the, uh, the conflict. And uh, as has been mentioned, we have uh, repeated statements by uh, senior military political uh, leaders in Israel, which uh, discuss it as if the entire population of 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza is guilty uh, over what happened on October 7th, right. uh, and that Gaza needs to be eliminated, Gaza needs to be, uh, and, uh, to, to be entirely depopulated. Okay, let's bring in Donatella to tell us whether Amnesty has seen any evidence that backs up this claim by uh, the director of the New York office at the High Commission for Human Rights, where he's saying this is almost, it's a genocide, uh, it's a case of genocide building. I mean, obviously, as the previous speaker uh, has said, the um, the threshold uh, and, the, and the legal analysis um, when it comes to making determination on uh, on genocide is is, is lengthy and complex. And uh, right now, um, at Amnesty International, we're focused on uh, investigating what are very serious and very obvious uh, violations of international humanitarian law, uh, which are extremely, extremely uh, grave, um, indiscriminate like attacks, can you tell us what some of those violations? Attacks. Yeah, can you tell us what some of those violations yes. have been from either side, in fact? Um, well, clearly, we've seen um, attacks that violate the um, 
the proportionality uh, requirement, uh, the fact that uh, indiscriminate attacks have been carried out that violate the principle of distinctions. These are cornerstones of international humanitarian law. Uh, we've also seen clear deliberate attacks on civilians from the Palestinian armed groups that went into Israel and deliberately attacked um, civilians. Um, these are all uh, crimes that violate international humanitarian law that should be investigated as, as war crimes, um, very, uh, very obviously. Uh, we're also seeing uh, on the part of, um, of Israel the deliberate restriction on the entry of uh, humanitarian aid and goods which are absolutely necessary for the survival of the civilian population. Um, fuel being perhaps the most obvious because no fuel has been allowed into Gaza. Fuel is necessary to produce electricity to keep hospital equipment functioning, life-saving equipment functioning in, in hospitals, as well as um, purifying water. At the moment, people in Gaza don't have clean water to drink. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, there is everything else, uh, food and, and medicines in general. These are items that can never, ever um, be restricted. There should be unfettered entry of medicines, food, um, and, and all that is necessary for the civilian population to survive. Uh, and, and I would also add that these restrictions are not uh, a new imposition on the part of Israel since the 7th of October, but they have been going on for 16 years. So again, if, if, if one is looking at uh, uh, deliberate action taken to impose collective punishment, which is another very... Uh, serious violation of international humanitarian law, uh, collective punishment on the civilian population of Gaza. Um, you know, that, that there is clear evidence of that. The, the forcible displacement uh, that we're, you know, we've seen uh, demanding that the entire population of North Gaza, you know, one of the most densely territories, uh, densely populated territories in the world being asked at a day's notice to move south knowing that actually the place where the civilian population of, of northern Gaza has been asked to move to is not safe either, because bombardments um, have been increased uh, in the past uh, two weeks, uh, you know, since the population of the north has been asked to move south. Um, so, yeah, people, civilians, families have no way of knowing what they could possibly do to protect themselves, to protect their children. Um, okay. and, and so all of these are, are violations of international humanitarian law, and they should all be investigated as war, as war crimes. Okay, Noor Ode, I mean, a lot of the, the violations that have just been listed by uh, Donatella from Amnesty are not new. We've seen them before. Uh, nothing moves on the international front when it comes to the prosecution of these war crimes at organizations like the International Criminal Court, for example. I mean, how, how do you think that war crimes can be actually prosecuted? What needs to be done? What sort of avenues are there for accountability, realistically? Well, I mean, the only avenues of accountability are the legal accountability, at least, are, are known. And I know that the, they're being pursued. But more to your question, I think that one encouraging sign that we're seeing on the streets of capitals around the world is that people, uh, young voters, 
um, in uh, uh, countries around Europe and in the United States are marching in their hundreds of thousands. They are angry, and rightly so. They are outraged at the complete uh, disconnect between the principles they stand for and the, and the uh, positions of their government. And I believe that part of the accountability that we all hope to see is, um, uh, you know, in the medium and long term, these voters holding their officials accountable for callousness, for a lack of responsibility, and for complete complicity in, in, in some cases with what's going on right now in Gaza, but also more broadly with the ma maintaining uh, and entrenching this uh, system of occupation, of colonization, dispossession, um, and ethnic cleansing. I mean, if you take a look at what the world has allowed to happen for all these decades, in the West Bank, they've allowed settlers to decide where Palestinians can live, where they can uh, uh, build their homes, and then they decide who lives, who dies, who's detained, who's not, who's labeled a good guy and who's labeled a terrorist, even if they're award-winning human rights advocates. And in Gaza, the world has allowed for far too many years Israel, the occupier, to lock up an entire population uh, of more than two million people, half of them children, deprive them of the most essential uh, uh, requirements of life, mm -hmm. um, uh, have a say on who can get medical treatment or not, um, and they've managed that. They've allowed it to happen. And that is what needs to change. And I think in many ways, what we need is a change of the of that thinking before we can really hope for accountability at the legal or political level. Uh, Michael Link, but what about the, uh, Noor was just talking about the complicity. Uh, what about the complicity of other governments, of other countries like the United States, like the United Kingdom, which was referenced in the letter of the uh, the gentleman who, who resigned, the director of the New York office of the High Commission for Human Rights, he said this, that the U.S. and the U.K. Are, are being complicit in what's unfolding in Gaza. Do you think that we would see Western leaders ever being held accountable for their complicity, or, or is that just simply too difficult? Not in the near future, I'm, uh, I'm afraid to say. Uh, uh, when we talk about international law, um, it is indeed the moral standard that we, that uh, nations promise to each other and to their citizens that they will uphold but in order for international law to be uh, to be effective it needs to be combined with international resolve and that has not happened here um, western nations as uh, as many have pointed out over the last uh, four weeks have been uh, explicit with respect to their denunciations of russia's invasion of ukraine and its annexation of uh, crimea um, as violations of international law, yet refuse to hold the same standards that they themselves actually have voted for in UN Security Council resolutions as well as in UN General Assembly resolutions with respect to Israel's many violations of international law, including annexation, including uh, uh, settlements which are a war crime under the uh, under the Rome Statute, including its refusal to apply uh, the laws of occupation under the Fourth Geneva Convention. I may want to remind your audience, but this is not the first time we've been 
uh, here with uh, with respect to Israel and Gaza and the allegation of war crimes. After uh, Israel's assaults in 2008-09 on Gaza, after 2014, and after the assaults with respect to the Great March of Return in 2018, on each of those three occasions, the uh, Human Rights Council of the United Nations in Geneva appointed an independent commission of inquiry. And each of those three commissions of inquiry said that there were a great likelihood that Israel had committed war crimes during each of those three occasions. It also said that it considered Hamas had likely committed war crimes during the first two uh, of those occasions. And in each of the three reports, it said, we have a desperate lack of accountability. I think in the Goldstone report of 2009, they used the term a justice crisis in the occupied Palestinian territory. Uh, I'm sad to say this as a former special rapporteur and, and as an international human rights lawyer, that in the Middle East, particularly when it comes to Palestine, international law is closer to power than it is to justice. Okay, just very briefly, Michael, what is the point then of, of international law if Israel can choose to ignore it over and over? Because it is, it is, our, it is our one common language of, uh, of a moral compass uh, throughout this world. Um, uh, in a world that's divided by race, by class, by religion, um, and by geography and ethnicity, it is the one common cre uh, uh, human-created um, institution that sets the moral standards by which we judge each other. And okay. um, I would not... I would never say do not abandon uh, or be cynical about it. I would say push harder. All right, Donatella, uh, I'd just like to get your take on, on a recent report by Amnesty. An investigation has found that uh, the Israeli army indiscriminately and therefore unlawfully used white phosphorus in the south of Lebanon on the 16th of October. Can you tell us about that and, and what you're calling uh, on to happen next? Um, yes, I mean, we... And is it only um, the south of Lebanon? Forgive me, because we've seen the pictures of Gaza as well, where it appears to be that white phosphorus is being used. Yes, and we had also published on that um, after those incidents. So we were able to verify use of um, uh, white phosphorus both in Gaza and in south uh, Lebanon uh, through... Uh, a variety of means. We 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 saw the munitions uh, being uh, with the forces that were located both in the in the southern border of Israel, close to Gaza, and and in the north, uh, close to Lebanon. Um, we saw videos that we were able to geolocate and, and verify, showing white um, phosphorus being airbursted over Gaza, over the port, and over the Zaytun neighborhood again, densely populated areas, and we were able to investigate the strikes in um, um, in Daria and, uh, and, and Aitashab and Mari in, uh, in South Lebanon, um, which also injured civilians. We have not received reports of civilians being um, harmed uh, in, in the uh, using Gaza, but we have in, in the case of Lebanon. Uh, white phosphorus is not uh, a banned uh, munition. It can be used on the battlefields in areas where there aren't civilians. The manner in which it was used both in Gaza and in and in Lebanon um, are um, areas where there are civilians, and therefore right. it was used in contravention. Uh, okay. I would just add one more point. Yeah, just and very, that very briefly. That perhaps what's different this time is that we have the International Criminal Court 
uh, prosecutor who has made a statement um, at the Rafa border uh, saying that okay. his office is you... looking into both uh, into both um, uh, attacks committed by Israel and yeah, and I'm by glad you bring up Karim Khan because and, and... on that on that final on that final thought, I'll bring in Nurade. Are you optimistic that Karim Khan will? will uh, move quickly and open an investigations uh, on what's happening, Noor? And will it make a difference? I'm cautiously uh, optimistic. Karim Khan has uh, not so far really done much to gain the confidence of Palestinians and many in the international human rights uh, sphere. He has been dubiously uh, um, absent uh, from, from any kind of interaction or statements regarding several clear uh, violations of, of Palestinian rights and international law now and in the past. His statement, while a bit murky, uh, uh, gives us some hope, but I think he needs to be pushed and he needs to be held to account. And he needs to understand that the world is watching and that the integrity and standing of the institution uh, uh, to which he answers to is on the line. If he fails and if he uh, reaffirms suspicions, that he is not exactly balanced and that the justice he wants to deliver might not be blind, uh, then he really jeopardizes that whole institution of international accountability. I hope that those skepticisms, uh, that skepticism is wrong, and I hope that he can deliver something to the victims who still have some faith in that international system. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael Link, Noor Ode, and Donatella Rivera. We thank you for your time. This episode was produced by Shantanu Chatterjee, Victoria Gatenby, Fungun Guyen, and Jimmy Getahun. Studio sound was by Fadzel Yahya. The program was edited by Zaina Bedir and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next edition. This week on The Take, will Lebanon's Hezbollah escalate its attacks against Israel as the ground invasion in Gaza continues? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Get it wherever you get your podcasts.